This is the Idea Time Podcast with Dr. Joe North. Welcome to the Idea Time Podcast. Tune in every week for practical tips, strategies, and interviews that will help you to achieve greater professional and business success by thinking more creatively. And now, here's your host, Dr. Joe North. Hello and welcome to the Idea Time podcast. In this episode, I'm over the moon to have with me today, Keith Rozell, who is the sales marvel. And what Keith doesn't know about sales and selling, um, I don't think is worth knowing because he, he really is a guru in this subject. So I'm really pleased he's here today. And a thing we're going to be talking about is selling in really challenging times. And we're in super challenging times, of course, right now with COVID-19 at the time of recording. So let's give Keith a big welcome. Hi, Keith. How are you doing? I'm doing really, in fact, I'm marvellous. Thank you for asking. How about you? Yeah, good, actually. I think getting used to the whole lockdown situation and homeworking and everything, I think um, in terms of the change curve, sort of really come through it a little bit. Yes, I have to say this is going to be more anxious times for some people than others i'm very fortunate that my children have kind of flown the nest but i recognize some business owners have young children running around the house and it is very very difficult um you know to tell a five-year-old to be quiet because uh, mummy or daddy's you know working kind of thing that is very difficult but uh, actually i think the world of work is going through a really positive process. If we can somehow disconnect all the terrible things that COVID-19 represents and some of the tragedies that that's ensuing, people are going to think about how they do business in a different way. And there are some positives around COVID-19. For instance, the air that we breathe is gonna be much, much clearer in city centers for the duration people are going to find out that they can work from home and meetings are taking much less time aren't they i think there's an efficiency with doing things on zoom or hangouts or teams or insert software of choice you know we're not spending as long in meetings i think it's really interesting and also the casualness you know i think as we started to experience lockdown people were still coming on calls in the work stuff and I'm seeing now a lot more hoodies and polo shirts and and that that sort of thing and I hope some of that informality continues as well now just tell us a bit about you and what you do okay so I've been in corporate sales for about 30 years and like most sales people I kind of fell into it at the end of my apprenticeship, I did a, an engineering apprenticeship with BT way back in the 1980s. And at the end of my second year, you get to specialise after that. And my boss said to me, Keith, he said, your career is going to be much better spent with people than it is with technology. So I focused on customers. Sales was an emerging profession at the time for BT. And so it, it was one of those pivot that's a word we're going to be hearing lots of in the next few months or so but it was a pivotal moment for me in my career and it it literally launched a uh, from a very low springboard a sales career that's seen me close business everything from 50 pounds a month for an online software subscription right up to a 1.3 billion dollar software outsourcing deal and everything in between and i can say hand on heart that the principles 
of selling, whether it's that online software sales subscription, whether it's your monthly gym membership subscription or a great big giant outsourcing deal, the principles of selling are remarkably similar no matter what the size of deal. So I've sort of specialized, if you like, in the science or the art and even the craft of selling and in both a corporate environment and for a whole host of SMEs. I should add, if I may, uh, Joe, I'm also a visiting lecturer at Aston Business School. So in chapter two of my career, I'm also trying to promote the worthiness, if you like, of the sales profession to graduates as, and I'd really like over the next five, 10 years to see it elevated to the same status as perhaps a lawyer or uh, an accountant, as it is in New York. I worked in New York for a couple of years, and if I was in a conference sort of circle with a lawyer and accountant, they would hold me in the same sort of status or regard, if you like. The same is not true in the UK. Sales is very much an undervalued uh, profession. But if you're not selling, then who is? And that's what I put to my audience. I think I'd certainly agree that actually we all need to sell that sales isn't a dirty word, that it's part of everybody's essential repertoire, whether you're in a corporate or whether you are in an SME, because we're always influencing. And I think sales is an advanced form of influencing. And it's necessary. It's what makes the economy go round, isn't it? So we all need to be able to sell. And I think it makes some of us feel uncomfortable and I don't know why that is. Why is it that some people feel uncomfortable about selling, Keith? Well, it, it does, because at some point there is, if you can get past the polite diplomacy of conversation, at some point you're going to be hoping to do business with someone. And that will either end up as, a, yes, we're going to do business, a not right now, can I think about it, or the third set which I think is what most people are anxious about, which is a rejection. The important thing to really bring to mind here is that for the most part, and I mean above 99% of the time, they're not rejecting you as a person. They are rejecting the ideas that you're putting across the table or the video conference camera. At some point, then, you know, do you want to buy an outsourcing deal? No. Well, that's not a rejection of you, the person. That's a rejection of the idea. It feels like you know, you've, you've failed and what you've put across to them isn't what they were wanting. So I do get that. You know, I understand that sense of rejection for sure. But we live in a very different um, age now. Now, when I first started in my sales career, way back when, as we've already talked about, sales was very much a, almost like a blunt instrument, if you like, going to market almost a bulldozer-like behavior. Sales is much more sophisticated. Buyers and consumers are much more sophisticated and sales is very nuanced sort of professional. And where I found myself majoring, if you like, with the lessons learned as I repeat this back as a narrative over the last 30 years, what I'd really like to talk to your audience about today, Joe, is the power of difference. What is it about your product or service that is different? What makes it stand out amongst the rest of your competitors in the market as a whole? What is it? Because if 
the SME business owner or the, even the corporate business owner is unable to differentiate their product or service versus their arch rivals product or service, then the customer or the consumer is only going to have one option and that's to differentiate on the basis of price. And that's a very costly mistake for corporations to make because it leads to job losses, it leads to a suboptimal business model and all sorts of things. Yeah, so we're going to come on to that for sure. And there are some things I want to really sort of probe on that theme. Yeah. I guess before we dive into that, there's a sense that I think today, I mean, I, I have also, so I'm not an expert in sales in the same way that you are. I sold advertising for a lot of years and I think sales has moved, as you say, from really, you know, the salesperson trying to get the other person to see life the way that they want them to see life so that they buy something. And I think people don't want to be sold to, they want to choose what they buy and who from. And I think that's really important today is that actually that, you know, the, the power is with the buyer and it's about you know how we choose to engage with them as well as the proposition that we put in front of them. So I've got all sorts of questions for you around Ooh. difference. Can we just start off though by thinking about sales right now in this time of COVID-19? Because I have seen so much stuff on social media about you should sell, it keeps the economy going, you shouldn't sell, it's insensitive. And where do you stand on that? You talked about the the uh, change curve at the very beginning of the show and the Kubler-Ross change curve, the one I genuinely refer to, when we're in shock and denial in the first few days of COVID-19, but in particular, the lockdown moment. Remember when Boris was shutting down all pubs, restaurants? That, for me, I don't know about you, Joe, that's a really scary moment. And I can't believe I was unique in that. And I was like a rabbit in a headlight for the, for the next couple of days thinking, my goodness, wh- what on earth is going on here? And I felt at the time, I got involved in a number of conversations, should we still be selling? And I did feel at the time, no, you shouldn't be, because I can't imagine I'm feeling completely different to most of the rest of the nation, indeed the world, because we're all being subjected to the same instructions, if you like, from government. I think it's been the same sort of reaction, hasn't it, for people wherever they are in the world hearing what they've got to say? Yes, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because we talk about sales. What kind of sales are you in? Well, I'm in B2B or I'm in B2C sales. And and actually, it's not B2B or, or B2C at all. It's about people to people. Uh, We're all humans and we all respond. You talked about the amygdala um, in some of your previous uh, podcast episodes. We all have pretty much the same responses to pivotal situations such as COVID-19. Is it a fight? Is it flight? Or or sometimes there's a, a tertiary of, well, we're just frozen. We don't know what to do. And I think I felt that way for the first two or three days. But after that, after shock and anxiety, I did change because I thought, well, actually, the world does need to carry on in some sense. We are going to enter a period of new normal, whatever that might look like, but probably in the pretty near future in some respect. And so we are going to have to have sustainable businesses and we're going to have to find a way to trade out of this particular situation. And indeed, in a way that prepares us for the next 
virus as there's bound to be because it's that kind of a world. How do we do that then? I mean, and as I say, we'll get on to, you know, the power of difference shortly. But how do we sell at such a sensitive time when there are, you know, people that are being really hit hard economically from a family perspective, from a health perspective, by this situation that we're in? There are also others who have, you know, for whatever reason, have actually managed to find an upside. You know, we've seen the success of toilet roll manufacturers and pasta and hand sanitizers and, you know, and protective personal equipment manufacturers that, you know, there are upsides as well, but there's such a diversity of how this has affected different people in different situations. How do we go about selling in that environment? Well, I think there are certain things that you can control, that you can contribute to easing certain pains, certain situations. But again, the principles of selling are pretty much the same. There are certain business sectors which will be absolutely decimated by the current COVID-19 outbreak. Um, Hospitality comes to mind, but others too. For anyone that had a face-to-face business, prior to um, the uh, the government's lockdown, then you'll have seen a manifest impact on your own business from some sort of trading sustainability to literally zero. Your entire business stops by mandate of the government because you can't trade any longer. So it's about identifying, I think, the sectors, and there will be some winners. The, The closest moment I can in industrial history that I can come back to with the greatest of respect joe if i may you probably were around in business at this time as well is 9 11 the new york terrorist attacks and i was based in new york at the time although thank heavens i was actually in london for that particular week but um there was a process that went on where 9 11 happened we had that two or three days shock and awe anxiety and all the rest of it but then somehow society humankind has to find a way to kind of move on and we observed what the winning businesses were at the time and certainly new yorkers and other people around the world didn't feel safe going out in the normal way for quite a considerable period of time after that and there was a process called cocooning that went on we all got home dvd players which were teetering on the brink of the world they hadn't really entered the mainstream in in um 2001 uh, but all of a sudden they did Um, So we bought lots of DVD players, lots of DVDs. We stayed in. We enhanced our living environment, if you like. And these days, in 2020, we're going to see similar things. Marks and Spencer have reported record results. Tesco have too. Not because we're all buying toilet rolls. That whole panic thing, I think, has largely subsided. And so it's interesting to see how the big multiples, the big retail stores, have adjusted their messaging to address the COVID-19 thing. They've made the the whole buying experience, if you do still go shopping, is much more pleasant, frankly, with social distancing and limiting the number of people in store. So that's a way that those businesses are adapting to, we still need to trade, we still need to be sensitive, but we still need to be responsible too. Their television advertising is similar to, in the way it's quite sensitively suggesting that look, the world's got to go on, the world has to carry on, and here's our offer in that light. 
got some questions which we'll pick up as we go through from idea time members who have have asked me in, you know in advance of you appearing on on the show and one of them is should i be dropping my price at this time of covid-19 given that there's this hardship this is someone in the business to business sector as you know uh, joe the more educated we all become the more the answer to almost any question is it depends and context is everything there are some people that are literally going to go out of business if they don't sell anything if that's you or one of your listeners you've got to do i have a three stage turnaround because i specialize in business turnaround as well through through the medium of sales if you like and my three stage turnaround looks like this is first of all you've got to protect and that's protecting your business. That's by capitalizing on any contractual revenue that you can and protect it and make sure if you've got any contract rollovers that, that you see them successfully roll over. You protect your revenue, maximize your revenue from that. The next stage is that you survive. You, have, you put your business on a sustainable footing, whatever that might look like for you in your world. And then you thrive. If you can get through those first two steps, and get to which is going to be over the next one to six months only at a fairly limited window if you can make it out of there with all the wheels still on the wagon so to speak then you've got to stand a chance of thriving but unless you make it through steps one and two protect and survive then there's no step three required so some people will say you shouldn't discount under any circumstances and let me tell you as a sales person and a sales trainer i absolutely get that You've got to think about why are you discounting? And if you are discounting, what are you getting in return? But we are in extraordinary times. And all the normal rules for doing business have almost all gone out the window. And we are now in new times with a new normal. And we need to think about that very, very clearly. So if you have to discount, think about why you're doing it. Is it just to make a trade? There's much more to it than that point is and i'm trying to avoid getting onto difference again but i have to say that sometimes if you're forced to discount then you have to think about why you're being forced to discount i completely agree that difference is a way of actually protecting price and and protecting margins so talk to us about difference keith yes okay so key to all of this is you can be difference for differences sake and it has no value the fact that you've differentiated your your product the example when difference is valuable is when it's contextually relevant to your target market so here you go so here's a case in uh, business history back in 2008 2009 steve jobs the former ceo of apple now sadly late steve jobs had an idea in his head because he was surfing the internet at his home he had a choice. He could use his iPhone 3, if anyone remembers those, or your laptop. He said, well, you know, a laptop, when you're uh, sat in front of the television, um, surfing the internet, is a little bit clunky. It's a little bit kind of overbearing, sometimes even blocks off the television screen. So um, he got $560 million for investment, because Apple can do that. And he developed a product which was different, called the iPad. And they launched that in January 2010. He also got what they call first mover advantage because he was the first to come out with that product and it made a dent in the universe. And so that's a product that was differentiated 
and it was contextually relevant to the target market. Also, you know, the iPad had a team of expert developers, investment, prototyping, numerous versions that didn't cut the mustard, so had to be, you know, so there's investment that didn't go anywhere, albeit there was a you know, big return at the end of it. The iPad then was very quickly copied. There were some poor copies of the iPad that came out, so that differentiation didn't last for long. You know, not everybody out there has the resources that Apple has. How does your ordinary business differentiate? You know, how do they get difference? It's the exam question that we come across all the time. How can I, as a, if you like, a just me kind of difference, differentiate myself? And the answer, again, comes down to it all depends. But I would say if some of your listeners are running their own business, then they themselves might be the difference. If I talk about me as a sales trainer, as now a visiting lecturer, the difference is the sum of my experiences in my career, the way I tell the story, the chemistry between me and potential clients, which I have to say, not everyone gets on with me and vice versa, then you could be the difference in the way that you interact with your customer. That might be one aspect of it. Where I always go back to, and again, it's talking about relatively large deals, but don't worry about the numbers, is when I was bidding for a particular contract with a big telecoms company, and I was working for an American outsourcer, there were 18 other companies that were invited to bid for a particular contract. The customer hadn't even made up their mind really what they wanted to buy. That was down to the expertise of the the bidders, if you like, to help shape the customer's thinking. But you've got to look at all the assets of your business. So one of the ways I differentiated my nebulous American software employer, one of the ways I differentiated them was the customers that we had. We had some very relevant customers in the telecoms space. And sometimes the differentiator is, well, we're not an Apple. We're not a a BT. We are a, you know, a three-person micro-business. So let's say as a business, you've got your point of difference or your points of difference and you're really clear about those. That's still not the sale. So talk us through the sales process. In COVID-19 world, where a business has clear differentiator, I'm doing some work for a client of mine at the moment in the world of PPE, personal protective equipment. And so the difference is, it's a very different business. And so the difference that you're articulating there with potential customers and your potential customers is going to be the NHS or care homes in the private sector all the way around the country or maybe even the world. The difference is maybe you're holding stock and you can fulfill that customer's need more quickly than a competitor's operation that might have to source it from overseas or you might have to wait in the manufacturing line for something that's produced domestically. That could be the difference. The difference is almost always what does the customer want and when do they need it and what's the specification? What I would go back to is something called the Zeman Pyramid, Z-Y-M-A-N. If any of your listeners want to Google that, this is what helped me when I was doing a number of last deals before. And if you can imagine a uh, pyramid, the bottom of the pyramid is Me Too. Me Too could be those 18 other bidders for a contract. 
well, we haven't differentiated ourselves. We're still at the me too level. The only thing that's going to happen then is a commoditized price. Whoever's the cheapest will win the business because they don't need to differentiate. They just need to buy a vanilla product. If you move slightly up the value chain, you get to a differentiated product or service, which could be that relevant client base. These guys really know financial services or these guys really know the manufacturing sector. And if you can demonstrate your credentials there by client base, by perhaps the use of technologies so that you can be a lower risk investment as a vendor, then that helps you differentiate yourself. But where you're really looking to get to is the very top of that pyramid and relationship selling professional services is a prime candidate for this area. It's called the preferred. What is it that's preferred about your product or service versus the rest of your competition. And only by understanding your customer's full spectrum of needs can you articulate a value proposition which is relevant contextually to that customer's need. And in that respect, can you articulate difference? And you're moving away from just price. And trust might also be part of that. Now, that's no different, frankly, to selling in the pre-COVID-19 world. And where I would say the real burden is right here, right now, is to be crystal clear what your value proposition is, who your target market is, who you're looking for as prospective clients. And it's almost like a 60-second pitch in respect of you've got an offer, you have a set of benefits that you deliver your clients. You have some case studies which are relevant to that target market. And you have a call to action. And that call to action might be, we've got PPE in stock right here, right now at this price, which is competitive. Buy from me because you can fulfill your organization's needs. That's a very simple way. But I have to say, simple is much easier to comprehend in these anxious times than than complex. Well, firstly, behavioral science demonstrates that when humans are confused, they don't take action. They, They make no choice at all, rather than make a choice. I think as well, it's about really taking time to as you say, understand your client or potential client and ask lots of questions. I think people, when they assume they know what their customers want and that they really understand their customers inside out, I think that's the beginning of complacency, which isn't a great place to be. So actually asking great open questions and doing probably more listening than what I would call proactive selling. I think the old concept of selling a product or selling a service, yes, that's what we're doing. Of course, that's what we're all doing. But actually, we're helping somebody solve a problem. And you've got to understand what their problem is. And aspiration is also a problem because aspiration is an unmet goal, isn't it? We're always helping somebody solve a problem whenever we're selling. We need to really understand what that is for them, what that means for them so that we can then present what we've got in a way that shows them how we solve the problem. There's another element to selling, of course, and that's that's confidence. And that goes back to this sense of rejection that you mentioned earlier. Someone I've been talking to for quite a while, actually, in idea time about selling. And she says, how do I just get my confidence up? I know the theory. I know the process. I, I get it but I just don't feel confident enough. You know, I always go in too low, sort of 
try and offer other things that I don't need to offer to get the sale. How do you build that confidence, even if what you've got and what you know you've got is a cracking thing that customers want and need? Fear is a four-letter acronym, false education appearing real. And the one thing that you can do to overcome fear is action. Take action. Action cures fear. Now, that's a really easy thing to say and and not always an easy thing to do because we're back to rejection then. What if? What if that? But unfortunately, you've just got to do it. So if you're not comfortable with the whole selling thing, because you are kind of putting yourself out there to be rejected, I go back to they're not really rejecting you. They are rejecting the idea. That's all. Nothing more. But sometimes if you are, let's say you, you know, you are a consultant or it's your business, you've got a team of people, but the whole concept and everything is your baby. It can feel like they're rejecting you. You know, actually, it's no for now. It's not no forever. Yeah, exactly right. And, and also, if someone says no, you are quite entitled to go back and say, hmm, do, you, do you mind me asking? Why is it a no? What is it you don't like? And let's and let's you know grab hold of that kind of hot potato. It's a little uncomfortable to be there in that place where you're examining a a rejection and understanding why it's a no. Well, it might be it's too expensive. It might not. It might be it's in the wrong colour. It might be something. Something you've got to get something back that you can actually deal with. And on the point of kind of rejection, I always look to, because I used to frequent his shops for a long time in my youth, is Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken. Now, legend has it that Colonel Sanders went to a thousand different restaurant outlets with his recipe for fried chicken uh, before he got someone to say yes. And the world is a different place now because of KFC and Kentucky Fried Chicken. So he went through that learning process about, it's almost like stakeholder management and collaboration. Okay, it's no, you don't want that particular recipe, but what about if I added some secret herbs and spices to it in in this way? And they kind of co-created a recipe that would be acceptable. And that might be a process that your listeners could go through in order to create something that a customer would buy it's not often a one and zero thing it's a negotiated outcome there's a business membership called atomic run by some fantastic guys called andrew and pete and they say actually never put a proposal to a client always give them a discussion document then if there's something that's you know when the client sees it that's not quite right you can go back and you can have a discussion and they also say make sure that before you send your proposal, which we're now calling a discussion document, before you send that, make sure you've already booked in the follow-up call to discuss the discussion document so that you can do that co-creation piece that you've just mentioned. And I find that also when people are lacking in confidence, they don't go back in enough. You know, they don't explore the object. So they'll get an objection and they'll take it as a rejection. And actually what an objection is, it's, in some ways, it's a request for more information. Mm. And if you can substitute the word objection, which sounds like I don't want this because, for I'm giving you the opportunity to tell me more about your product or service, that feels so much better. You know, sometimes you have got to go back in two or three times, not being pushy, not being overly persistent, 
but really trying to understand what's going on and read the signals a little bit. Don't walk away too early if it is a no. Absolutely right. It isn't you're being batted away. It's about, okay, so what is it you're interested in? And just, and that's where, you know, co-creating a solution with your customer means it's much less likely to be rejected because you've actually both been working on it together. When I do cold calling, and I do do it from time to time, I really enjoy it. I'm often met with the objection, we're just not in the market, which is not a no, it's a not now. We're just not in the market, which I can respond, okay, shall I give you a call back when a few weeks, few months, whatever it is. But often they'll come back and say, well, actually, no, it's just that I'm right in the middle of a spreadsheet. If you can send me an email, uh, that will be really helpful. Or they'll give you some valuable information as to why you shouldn't go away straight away. You should come back. And that's where your ability to listen and listen with intelligence, and it's really difficult listening with accuracy, that's when you can pick up some absolutely wonderful pieces of intelligence about that particular customer or potential customer that will help you sell something in due course by working with them. And also remember that just because you're in your sales cycle does not necessarily mean they're in their buying cycle. And if you try selling to them when they're not ready to buy, you're going to frustrate and anger possibly both parties. So you've got to get your selling cycle in line, in sync with their buying cycle. We've just got a few minutes left. So what would, you know, if anybody's concerned about selling and getting out there and, you know, having a presence in this COVID-19 situation that we're in? What would your final advice and tips be to them? You must get out there. You have a responsibility to tell people, to tell the world about your product, why it will help them, why it's different. And at the end of the day, my goodness, um, if you're running a business and it's your livelihood, you may have employees that you're responsible for. You might have a, an existing set of customers you're also responsible for to deliver great service. You have a responsibility to keep going. There are lots and lots of webinars. And if I may, I'm, I'm going to promote mine, which is... Please do. I was about to ask you to do that. So please go for it. So I'm running a series of webinars that are taking people right through a a business-to-business sales process, but it counts for B2C as well, that uh, you can, lots of people have lots of downtime at the minute for different various reasons. I'm running a webinar every Wednesday at 11 a.m., taking people through this different process, and uh, I hold a Q&A afterwards. You can stream the, the recording afterwards. Get comfortable. When you can get comfortable with your offer and and you can articulate it in a really simple way for people to understand and comprehend and you you have got some decent people's skills, let's say, because selling is about communicating a value, then the chances are that you will be more successful. The moment you become more comfortable, you'll do it. You'll feel less resistance to doing it. It'll become more natural and you'll be a natural just by doing it more often, a bit like riding a bike. But I was trying not to be too cliched. I think you're absolutely right. And what I'll do, Keith, is I'll put links to your contact details, your series of webinars 
also to the Zeman Pyramid. I'll put those in the show notes. And finally, if people, I'm sure they will, do want to get in touch with you after hearing you today, what's the best way? I know you're on LinkedIn a lot. I am. So you can message me, keith at salesmarble.co.uk or you can connect with me, uh, Keith Rosell, R-O-Z-E-L-L-E, on LinkedIn and engage with one of my, uh, and don't just agree, give me your point of view as well, because that's the way that we all keep learning and developing as individuals. And I look forward to hearing from you with whatever question that you have. It's been a real pleasure, and I know that Idea Time listeners will really benefit from it, so thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Idea Time podcast. Brought to you by Dr. Joe North. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe to our channel. For even more strategies and advice, visit our website, ideatime.co.uk. Enter your email for leading insights, resources, and more every month completely free. We'll see you next time.